It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz on the campus of Penn State Altoona, broadcasting live in front of a studio audience. All right, P.S. Altoona, and our guest is Katie Hardigan. Hardigan. Katie Hardigan, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great. You're on the soccer team? Yes. Did I get that right? Okay. And how'd the soccer season go? We did pretty good. Um, we're going to do better next year. Definitely. Better next year. That's a great way of saying the team just laughed when I asked how the soccer team do. Okay, we're bringing you on the show to honor the student athletes at Penn State Altoona for their community service with the Penn State Dance Marathon. Tell us about uh, your work with the Penn State Dance Marathon. Um, I worked um, all year with Don and the organization here. And with all the hours that all of us put in, we were able to raise a lot of money, and I was able to be honored and picked as a dancer. Um, so I was on my feet for 46 hours, no sleeping, um, dancing and raising money for pediatric cancer. And you, so you went to State College and danced for, for the whole weekend, and uh, what was your best uh, memory or takeaway from that weekend? Did you get to pick a song? Did you do the chicken dance? Um, I didn't do the chicken dance, but um, we have a line dance that's made up. Um, throughout the 46 hours, you do it like every hour. So that was probably one of the best memories, like memorizing the dance and doing it and staying active the entire time. So up until the actual dance marathon, you raised money in the Altoona community. How much money was raised? Um, Altoona's organization, we raised over uh, um, 100 grand, so... Um, that was, and we broke a record of any Commonwealth co campus, so that was a pretty big honor for us. That was, the number was $100,000. Let's have a round of applause. And I did read that uh, your $100,000 went into uh, the record-breaking over $12 million that was raised uh, with all the Penn State uh, Splinter campuses for Dance Marathon. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. We wish you the best of luck with the soccer team. Let's have one more round of applause for Katie and Penn State University Altoona. Get to know Adam at AdamRitz.com. Get to know the radio show at AdamRitzShow.com. I'm Adam Ritz, and we are joined now by David Thornton. I'm going to categorize this as um, a story of inspiration. And uh, I, I think there's a whole lot of levels to your story, but I'm going to categorize it as inspiration. We welcome David Thornton to the show. Hi, David. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thank you. And um, you're a 10-year veteran of the uh, National Football League. You played with the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts linebacker. And the part of your story that just floors me is when you hear about a guy that's played 10 years in the NFL, um, you have this image in your head of a guy that just probably just strolled through college, <laughs> strolled through college football, 
with your eyes closed on uh, medium speed and still could kill anybody because you are so elite that you made it to the National Football League and played 10 years when most average careers are three years. So that's not really the case here with your college career, was it? Not at all. You know, a lot of people, when you think of a guy who's played in the National Football League for such a long time, you would assume he was probably the superstar athlete in high school, you know, um, full scholarship, superstar athlete in college, maybe a first, second round pick and play for a long time. Mm -hmm. But um, my story isn't the typical route, but I appreciate the route I had to go to um, to reach the, the, the level, I guess, of, of playing the game in a high level. I appreciate the route I had to take. So out of high school, uh, first of all, when did you start playing football? Well, I played in, when I was younger, just younger, following my okay. brothers. I didn't really have a passion for football. That didn't develop until later. But um, I played sports because my older brothers played sports. And I um, just kind of just had fun with it, but never really, you know, fell in love with it until college. And uh, in high school, I was well-versed in a lot of different things. I, I loved the band. I was actually a drum major in the marching band. Hmm. I played basketball. I was a point guard on the basketball team. I was quarterback in safety in football. Didn't really like it too heavily. And I, I was a pitcher in baseball. So I did a lot of things. Yeah. You know, did nothing really extremely well, but just good enough to kind of start and, and just have a really good high school experience. So then, uh, again, I'm going to assume with the rest of America that if you played 10 years in the NFL, you had colleges screaming for you to play college football. Not How was your recruiting going from high school to college? Absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was 170 pounds. And I was a pretty good athlete, but I was nothing exceptional, nothing that was screaming, recruit me, recruit me. And so I was okay with that. My heart and my passion was, was for the Tar Heels. I wanted to go to UNC, just get me on the campus. You know, I saw them on TV, and I was a Tar Heel fan, still am to this day. And um, that was a school I set my affection on, and I wanted to be a student there. So I, I did very well academically, and I worked hard, and I applied, and I was fortunate enough to get in. So at North Carolina, the Tar Heels, and you're telling me really there wasn't one college that said, come play, even be a drum major, nothing? No schools the, at all, zero. D3, NAIA, nothing? I, I wasn't even in a, an invited walk-on. At some schools, they invite certain players that they see that have a chance. Uh -huh. They'll invite you to walk onto the team. You know, I wasn't even that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now you, uh, you're at North Carolina, and I, I can assume that you walked on the football team. Well, yeah, I first tried out for basketball. A lot of people don't know that. I tried out, you know, for the UNC basketball team. At that time, they had Vince Carter, Antoine <laughs> Jameson, Ed Co I, If you If you grew up and you're a Tar Heel fan, you got to at least try out for the team. And that quickly didn't work. I knew I wasn't going to play Tar Heel basketball. Yeah. That team was okay. too loaded. And then in the spring semester is when I tried football. And I went through the intense workout. And uh, just persevered through it, and that's when I was fortunate enough to make the team as a walk-on. Okay, so then, uh, again, with that 10-year NFL uh, resume, I'm going to assume that your sophomore year at North Carolina, you earned a scholarship. No, not at all. <laughs> sophomore year, <laughs> sophomore year, I'm just plugging away. You know, the thing about, you know, what happened, you know, my freshman year, you know, um, I really met some people that would help me, that was helping me out, you know, adjust to the college lifestyle. You know, early on I was struggling, but I, I got a mentor in my life and he really helped develop me in a lot of ways. He helped me develop in my faith, helped me develop as as a college football player, you know, in the weight room, taking care of my body. And so even though I was just a walk on, not playing in the games, 
I was finding a sense of peace and fulfillment from just working hard in the weight room and practicing. So um, even though I wasn't playing, not my sophomore year, not my junior year, not even my senior year, I was just serving, serving the team, found a way to, you know, make a difference and just work hard and practice. So it, it was four years I was on the Carolina roster and not even playing ball. You're kidding me. Not <laughs> even playing? Not no even. scholarship. No You're scholarship. not playing a senior, a four-year walk-on at North Carolina. At the University of North Carolina. Yes, four-year walk-on. And it, and it wasn't that I was, you know, not a good player. Or not a, you know, I, had, I had improved. I gotten bigger, faster, stronger, all those things. But just the way it's designed sometimes, typically schools give scholarship athletes the opportunities first. So I was okay with that. And like I said, you know, I fell in love with not only working out in the weight room and, and practicing hard, I fell in love with the guys on the team, the camaraderie, mm-hmm. the relationships I was building. So even though I wasn't, you know, playing on Saturdays, I still was getting fulfillment and peace just from um, the relationships and serving in the weight room and serving in the practice field. Well, David Thornton is our guest, football player from the University of North Carolina. After four years of walking on and not playing, then there was a, there was a fifth year, like a redshirt year that you could play your fifth year. That's obviously the year you played and you showed the NFL what you had. <laughs> yeah, that fifth year, we actually had a, a coaching change. You know, I like to view that season of my life where it was a pretty divine intervention going on. We had a new lead, change in leadership, and uh, he came in and he, won, he declared that he was going to play the best 11 players, no matter who they were, on both sides of the ball. And um, for me, it was, you know, a great opportunity. His name was John Bunny, and um, I knew if he really meant that, you know, I would have a chance to really go out there and showcase what I could do. And so after spring ball, you know, he recognized, you know, my talent, and I had, a, I had done what I had typically been doing for all, of, all those years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me a scholarship. For that, yeah, that after the spring spring camp, and um, I got a chance to finally start my fifth year in school, and it wasn't my plan. I had planned on you know going to grad school and doing that going that route, but um, I got a chance to finally play that 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 last year, that fifth year, and I led the team in tackles. I was all conference, all ACC, ended up becoming um, defensive MVP, and I was a, you know awarded the student athlete of the year, Tar Heel athlete of the year at UNC. So it was. A pretty amazing turnaround in such a short period of time. No, really, short period of time. I mean, as a 17, 18-year-old kid, nobody in America wants you to come play any sport at all for them. A few years later, you're the you're all ACC scholarship uh, defensive player of the year for the North Carolina Tar Heels in the ACC. That's amazing. It is. It really is. When I really reflect back on it, sometimes it wows me because I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is a major opportunity that the Lord has blessed me with. And um, I didn't see it coming, but I'm definitely thankful that I had to go through the years of, you know, just grinding and just being patient. You know, a lot of times when I speak to student athletes, guys who are not playing as early as they want to, I always encourage them and remind them that delay is not denial. It doesn't mean that your opportunity won't come. It's just whether or not you have the patience to wait it out and continue to endure and keep working despite not having met your expectations just yet. So, uh, and that's what my story, my story, you know, is really about perseverance. You know, it's about patience. It's about um, just hard work. It's about believing in your goals. You know, it's about knowing who you are and being confident in who you are and just never giving up. You know, that's a big part of, you know, who I am now. 
That is awesome. Uh, David Thornton is our guest, linebacker, 10 years in the NFL with the Colts and the Titans. And I know it's going to be hard to narrow this question down to one answer, but maybe some of your highlights from your playing days. Let's talk football. Have some fun. What were some of your, uh, I guess, highlights from those 10 years in the league? Well, you know, just, you know, going through the draft process, you know, that was exciting for me because I, I it wasn't in my expectation. But to have an opportunity to go to the combine, you know, the Colts drafted me in the fourth round and um, to come under such a great system. Um, the leadership of Tony Dungy for four years. I tell people all the time, anything you do for four years, that's a degree. Yeah. So I got my degree from Dungy, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so I learned a lot from just being a, a, a player under his system, um, just watching him as a player. He was a great mentor, a great leader. Um, of course, everyone knows about his faith and his character, and I can attest that it's legit. You know, it's, he is who he says he is, and I, I'm just thankful that I had a chance to just to be under him for four years. And I um, go to Tennessee, and I was five years there with Coach Fisher, who's another solid leader, wonderful coach. And, you know, I had a lot of great games, um, won some awards, and all those things are wonderful. But to me, the most valuable thing I took away from my playing career, you know, is probably the relationships I built with the people along the way. You know, it wasn't the money. You know, it wasn't the big wins. You know, some people measure success by, you know, how much money did you walk away from? And, and of course, provision. You know, my old things are, are benefits that come along with it, and I'm thankful for those things. But uh, the most valuable thing for me was the fact that I had someone that I can call when I needed to. I have brothers that I can lean on to this day, even though I'm not playing, mm-hmm. that, um, that I can be, be a source for me when I need them. You know, the relationships, you know, that, you pulled away, that I pulled away from my experience is by far the most valuable thing. Tony Dungy is uh, you, you mentioned his character, and yeah, everybody does know about that. And do you still have a chance to, uh, I guess, network with him, talk with him, go to church with him, talk about your faith with him? I mean, is I gotta think he's so busy. He's doing that the NBC Football Night in America. His All Pro Dads charity is one of the best successful charities in America. I mean, does he still have time to to reach out and talk to people from his past? It's unbelievable. You know, as busy. As his schedule is, you know, as as much time he spends, you know, traveling and, you know, touring and speaking and, you know, as as much of a, you know, he's all over the map, essentially, he still takes the time to answer the phone if you call him, if he has that type of relationship with you. And that says a lot about him, you know, that he's, I mean, he's, I'm not surprised that he's that way. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who's in his circle, anyone that he's developed that type of relationship with, you have a friend in him that you can count on for life, you know, and I, I don't talk to him all the time, but without any hesitation, I know if I reach out to him and call him, he's going to answer the phone or call me back in a short period of time. And that's wonderful. We're speaking with David Thornton, who played 10 years in the NFL uh, as a linebacker. And now uh, you still work for the NFL in the player development. You're teaching and educating the younger players of today, what you know. It is. It's a, it's the position that I'm really, really loving. It makes me excited to know that I have an opportunity to come in and serve the team and serve the, the staff and serve the guys in ways that will help, transi- help them transition into the game smoothly and successfully and prepare them to exit the game successfully. We all know that football is a very violent sport, and at some point it's going to fleet away. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of things you have to do while you're playing to prepare for that time, and um, it's it's a position where I can just really, you know, embrace. You know, I lived through player engagement. I served in a lot of ways and got involved with a lot of programs. And it's really a great opportunity for me to just share my experiences from the guys and just really help them throughout the whole process. 
In your uh, Twitter or your email, I saw in one of your emails you sent me that it, it um, what, what's your, uh, some people write sincerely your best or truly yours. What does your say again? I saw it somewhere. Cause live it was, to give. Was it live to it give? It might have been live to give or to serve. Oh, yeah, no question. It yeah. says on your Twitter and yeah. on your email when you sign out, you, yeah. you write to serve. To serve. That's definitely, you know, my, my personal mission, I guess, is I live to give. And that's all about serving others. And, um, and, and everything I do, I love to give. I love to serve. When I played, I played within a rel- rel- with a relentless effort to serve and give to the game, um, to give to the guys that needed me in the locker room, to give to the community, um, just to use the platform that I had been blessed with to give back. You know, someone did those things for me coming along, and um, I think it's just a wonderful platform, not only for myself. Everyone has a platform. You know, everyone can find a way to make a difference in someone's life. Everyone can lend a hand to help someone else. You know, whether it's your mere presence, just being there. Sometimes it's giving of your resources. You know, sometimes it's, you know, just a pat on the back and saying it's going to be okay. You know, so uh, I'm a firm believer in that, and, and that makes, to me, I find a ton of fulfillment and being able to just serve and help and give to others. Well, I feel that pat on my back. I'm glad I know you. I'm glad uh, you've been on the show. David Thornton uh, is our guest, and we want to wrap up and let our listeners how they can follow you on Twitter. What's your uh, Twitter name? (laughs) My Twitter name is DT underscore 50. DT underscore 50. At DT underscore 50, because uh, you don't look 50 years old to me. <laughs> That's my old plan, Dave. <laughs> you know, Jersey, I'm, I'm not an old man. You know, I'm just Because f- football speeds up the, the, the pace, though. Trust I'm, me. You look like you could play right now. You know, in fact, a Twitter secret, if you ever see anybody's Twitter handle and there's a number in it, that's they're probably a professional athlete or a former athlete because that was their number when they played. Absolutely. Typically, guys like the signature their name with this with the number behind it especially on things like uh like twitter and those sources all right thank you so much david absolutely thank you for having me on adam you can catch up with the adam ritz show online podcasts of recent shows including this one can be found at adamritzshow.com like us on facebook at facebook slash adam ritz show or follow at adam ritz on twitter we're proud to have uh, a guest on the show from Athens, Georgia. We're on the campus of the University of Georgia, the Bulldogs, or, or the Dogs, as they say, uh, head athletic trainer and local legend. Well, I apologize, not local legend, a national legend, a national treasure. This is Ron Corson. Hi, Ron. Hey, it's good to be here. Now, you truly are a national treasure. Uh, how long have you been in the industry of athletics, sports medicine, on campus here at Georgia? And what are some of the things you've done that uh, pop out in your head as far as your career, some of the favorite things you've done? Well, I've been at Georgia for 18 years. It's a great place to be. I've been in this profession for 30 years, and I uh, truly love it. But I've been blessed with a lot of opportunities. I uh, have had a chance to work at three Olympic Games and uh, just a, a variety of different uh, athletes and different sports. But it's a great profession. Three Olympic Games. That's uh, that's amazing in and of itself. Yes, I had started out in '88 uh, with Seoul, Korea, and then uh, Barcelona in 1992, and then we hosted the Olympics in, in Atlanta, Georgia, in 1996. And I was actually had the opportunity to be the head athletic trainer, and it was a great experience. That is fantastic. Were there um, language barriers? I mean, did you have to work with interpreters, with other athletes from other countries, and stuff like that? Yes, you, you don't think about that when you're, when you're in college, but you know, uh, one you think about the Olympics is you're seeing so many different sports that you don't have exposure to, and there are the language barriers and just uh, different cultures, different people do different things different ways. So I uh, just learned how to adapt to uh, different situations. So with the Olympics, um, what were some of the big names, I guess, famous people that you actually taped their ankles? 
Uh, going back to 88, you know, remember that was one of the uh, the greatest uh, track and field teams in the history of Olympics with uh, Florence Griffin Joyner and, uh, 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 you know, then going back to the 1996 and, uh, you know, the 200-meter uh, world record that was, that was set at Olympic Stadium was a great highlight. But just uh, having the opportunity to meet all those different people and have the chance to share and work with them was a great experience. Was Carl Lewis ever in the mix? Did you yeah, Carl Lewis was there in 88 and in 92. Okay. So Carl Lewis is on the table to get his an- ankles taped. Uh, did you come over to the uh, the people with less seniority and say, oh, oh wait a minute, I'll take this one? You know, when, when you work <laughs> with everybody, everybody works out really well. And uh, and actually, a lot of people forget Carl Lewis' sister was on that team as well. It was a great Olympian herself. But, uh, um, you know, it was 165 people roughly on the track and field team alone. And usually there's about 800 Olympians on the team. So uh, a lot of different people. And uh, had a great sports medicine staff too. So uh, that was one of the unique things about 96 is uh, being the team leader actually had the opportunity to build the staff. So we were able to select all the physicians, the athletic trainers, physical therapists, and so forth that we wanted, and uh, had, had a great team from sports medicine as well. Well, you've got a really fun office. I, I love looking at the pictures that you have from those Olympics that you've worked at. And now here on campus at the University of Georgia, um, maybe some of the big names that have come through the football team, the football program that are in the NFL or have, uh, have played in the NFL, who are some of your favorite big names? I, I remember everybody, and uh, you know, it's not just the big names. I think one of the unique things about athletics is working with everybody, and uh, it's um, it's always nice to see when they come back. You know, whether they're an NFL player or you know whether they never played it down, and just have them come back for the spring game with their wife and their kids, and you know, say, "Hey, remember me? I was here ten years ago," and just uh, see where they are in their life, and uh, and hopefully we played a small uh, part in that in the Georgia football as well. Ron Corson is our guest, head of sports training or, or sports medicine. How would mm-hmm. you say it? Sports medicine. Sports medicine at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. And we're actually here to talk about uh, an initiative that uh, you were a part of that is, uh, is just a fantastic thing for, for young uh, football players in this part of the country with the heat. Uh, you were telling me the last time we talked that Georgia leads the United States in, um, in heat exhaustion-related events, or, or how would you word that? In heat stroke deaths, you know, oh there's gosh. a lot of things that we want to lead the nation in, but that's sort of not one of them. And uh, traditionally, the state of Georgia in high school football has led the nation in heat stroke deaths. And that was something we wanted to try to prevent. So uh, we actually put together a task force last year and worked really closely with the State Association of Georgia for high schools. We were able to put in some very stringent heat laws. And uh, basically what it does is uh, establish more safety criteria for our high school athletes. And what, I guess, what are some of those uh, safety criteria for high school athletes? Basically what we did, we put together the, the same concept we did with the NCA in 2003. Uh, we have a one-week acclimatization period where everybody comes in, they're working the same time frame for two hours, no more, uh, wearing just shorts and helmets to get used to the heat. And then once we start practice, we go to a 2-1 where you have a, a two-a-day, then a single, a two-a-day, then a single, so it gives them a chance to recover. But particularly in Georgia, what we did is it's a, it's a hot and humid state. So we actually put in temperature guidelines. We require that every school in the state of Georgia has to have a monitor on site to measure temperature and humidity. And then based on that, it determines can they go full pads, can they go shells, can they go shorts. They have to have an emergency action plan. Their coaches have to be trained in it. And then they have to have an emergency cooling system. So if they have a heat stroke emergency, they know how to deal with it and can treat it on site. That is amazing. And uh, I have to just on the outside looking in, guess that uh, Georgia leading the country in that statistic of heat-related uh, heat stroke deaths for high school student-athletes or high school football players, it, it's the hottest part of the country, and it's the biggest state in that hottest part of the country. So it, it's not all Georgia's fault. And the key, the, the biggest thing about heat stroke is, is preventable. 
And it starts back with education. So we're trying to do everything we can to educate the student athletes, to educate the coaches, to educate the moms and the dads about it. And we feel like education is our, is our biggest uh, weapon in, in combating this thing, is if we can educate people about how to prevent it, hopefully we can keep tragedies from happening. Did this initiative have a, 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 an official name? Can we Google search or YouTube search some of the videos? Yes, it's, uh, it's the GHSA. It's the Georgia High School Athletic Association. It's the HEAT initiative. The HEAT initiative. Okay, very, very good. Uh, Ron Corson uh, is our guest. And before I let you go, uh, I want to know, okay, I'm not a student athlete. I'm not a 20-year-old um, 4% body fat guy. I'm actually uh, middle-aged now and completely out of shape. What is your best advice for just the normal American on being more active, being more healthy, from your director of sports medicine perspective here at Georgia? I think the biggest thing is find something you have a passion for you enjoy doing, you know, whether it's walking or running or, or swimming or a yoga club or weightlifting, you know, uh, you need to have something you're passionate about. And then, then it makes it fun. And it's not just drudgery going to do an exercise. We'll have to go to the gym and do this today. If you have something you enjoy doing, and I think the other thing is finding somebody to do it with. If you have a workout partner or a friend or a team, that's the motivation to keep you, uh, you know, staying on track. Great advice from Ron Corson at the University of Georgia. Thank you so much for your time. And tell Carl Lewis I said hi. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> this is P.J. Fleck, head football coach at Western Michigan University, and you're listening to The Adam Rich Show. As we continue the show from Miami, Florida, we're at Sun Life Stadium uh, with our special guest, Harold Barnwell. Hi, Harold. How are you? Good. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. These events are fantastic. Uh, the father and kid experience with All Pro Dad. Uh, a lot of personalities from the NFL and from the Dolphins are here running around talking about how to be you know, a great father, great husband. There's fun activities and football drills happening. Harold, your involvement with this uh, activity today is you're a head football coach, and you made your players come volunteer at this event. How did that all come? And did I word that right? I mean, I don't know if you made them or if they brought it up to you. Maybe it was their idea. I don't know. Well, uh, someone sent an email to the school uh, through Russell Athletics and, and Tony Dungy and talked about the organization. And I thought it would be a great situation for us because we're the closest high school to the stadium. And I also have a son that's out there on this high school football team, so he's volunteering as well. Um, but, you know, I just try and stress the importance of, to him as well as the other young men that I'm in charge of because I consider all of those guys my sons as well. So this was just a no-brainer for me. I mean, I, I didn't hesitate for this opportunity. Well, that's twofold for me. That's great that uh, you didn't hesitate. As, as You saw it as an opportunity uh, to give back to your community, and uh, I think it's great that your, your kids are involved with it. Was there any pushback or reluctance like, oh, we have to get up early on a Saturday? No, because usually when they know I'm, I'm asking them to be a part of something, it's going to be something positive. You know, I don't ever compel them or make them. I just ask them, and those who want to, they do. And those who don't want to, I don't punish them or anything <laughs> beyond because of it. But, you know, these young men just enjoy working with one another and then with other people. You know, and that's the thing we try and stress. You know, it's not going to all be about just the people you meet at the school. You're going to meet people out in the community and people in every walks of life. So to, to be able to give back like this, um, you know, it's a tremendous uh, event they put on and these those guys are enjoying it out there. Well, I think it's fantastic with high school athletics that uh, these kind of life skills 
are being put forth by head coaches like yourself? Because there's a lot of head coaches out there that aren't doing this. All they care about is sports and winning. In fact, there was a story uh, just last week of a high school coach that um, instructed his basketball player to run over the other high school head coach. Knocked him down. He's, he's, uh, he's going to be criminally charged as a head coach for making his player knock down the other head coach. So, yes, high school sports, all, sports of all levels. We can, we can drop the ball, so to speak, on, on the life skills and character developing part of, of what sports can be. And it's great that you're involved. Tell us a little bit about uh, your high school. You said it's the closest school to Sun Life Stadium here where the Dolphins play. Uh, what else? What's it called? It's Miami Carroll City Senior High School. Uh, we're at home with the Chiefs. Um, pretty good football team. Last year we had a pretty good season uh, compared to previous few years. Uh, the young men, the seniors we had on last year's team did a great job of leading us. And now these juniors that are going to become seniors, they've gotten a great role model to look up to and follow that path. So these young men, I believe, uh, are going to help us do some real good things. And like you were referring to about the messages that the, the high school send, the poor messages, but the biggest thing I tell these young men is their character. Their character is going to show whether someone's around or not. It's going to show the type of person that they are. And that's the thing we try and build as much as we possibly can. We don't worry about the X's and O's because that's going to come. God blessed them with those skills and that talent that, that opened the door for them. But now to get in the door, you have to maintain it with something and, and push that academic piece to also. That's fantastic. Uh, our guest is Harold Barnwell from Carroll City uh, High School here in Miami. Uh, any, you know, Florida and football, tons of talent in the NFL from the state of Florida. Uh, what's the biggest name to come through Carroll High School uh, in the last 50 years that we might have heard of that has gone on to fame and fortune in the NFL? Uh, we still have a few now. Uh, Santana Moss is oh, a yeah? Carroll City product. No way. Kenny Phillips is also a Carroll City product. All right. Um, we have Robert Sands that plays with the Bengals. He's also, and Ricky Jean Francois with the 49ers. So all these young men came through Carroll City, and uh, I helped coach most of them. Are you kidding me? Really. Oh, that's fantastic. And they uh, do they give their insight on uh, character and as well as football for the current players? I'm sure they got to come back. And Definitely. Whenever they get a chance to come back, they come back and uh, sometimes spontaneous. And I ask them when they share some thoughts with the young men and, and they don't hesitate. They give them all of the knowledge and all of their experiences that they've been through high school, college, and where they are now. Um, just relate those to the young man and just tell them, you know, just follow coach's directions. He, he understands what he's talking about. Well, maybe on your way out of Sun Life Stadium, you should drop off a resume and say, I helped coach Santana Moss in high school. You could be on the sidelines here with the Dolphins. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to go to that level. I would love to pay, but I don't know if I want to go to that level. I enjoy working with these young men here. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.